Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. This is episode 98 of Reclaiming the Faith. And here in episodes 98 and 99, my wife and I are going to be breaking down the book of Jude. Episode 98 is the first half. Episode 99 is the second half. This is a Bible study that my wife and I did over the summertime. Uh, We did on YouTube live, and I told folks then that I would make uh, eventually audio versions of that Bible study available here on my podcast, Reclaiming the Faith. So here we go. I want to encourage y'all to check out Stephanie's podcast, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. She's just got some incredible, incredible content. Her latest episode uh, was an interview with two of our closest friends, David and Kelsey Light. So please go check out that interview on discipleship. Also, if this episode has been a blessing to you, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, I am blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency along with BDK and Kurt. And Omega Frequency is putting out great content every week on the two uh, YouTube channels. One is Omega Frequency and the other one's Omega Frequency Live. So please go check those out. Also, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be, generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. And finally, I really want to encourage all of you to go check out the website, thehistoricfaith.com. The Historic Faith is a project from Sattler College in partnership with Scroll Publishing, and basically it's online courses that help you understand the historic faith that was handed down once for all by the apostles to us. Please go check that out. You will absolutely be blessed by it. All right, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 98 rolling. All right, well, if you got a Bible, crack that open to Jude or chapter one, <laughs> which is the only chapter. Yep. A prevailing theory uh, that, that I've read is um, that the book is written probably sometime between 65 and 70 AD, probably after the death of Peter uh, by the hand of uh, Nero. Um. It shares so many connections with the book of Second Peter. So it's almost like um, this was Jude's attempt to say, hey, all, you know, Peter said this stuff was going to happen. And look, it's happening right now. So y'all really need to pay attention to what Peter wrote because some stuff is already happening and the things that he said would happen they're going to happen too. Uh, things that would happen later, you know, at, at Christ's return. Uh, I want to read just a little bit of Second Peter chapter two, 
uh, starting in verse one, to kind of show the main prophecy that Jude, I believe Jude is saying has come true in his day. So here's, here's Peter in 2 Peter 2, verse one. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So notice he's saying that there were false prophets who arose among the people back in the day and there will be. And Jude is basically saying, this has happened. This prophecy from Peter has happened. All right. And so I really want to encourage you guys to read Second Peter all the way through, because that is the main thing that Jude is calling back to. So if you want to see a commentary on Jude, read Second Peter, in a sense, even though Second Peter was written first. It's kind of more fleshed out. So Jude is kind of like the cliff notes um, to Second Peter in many regards, although there is stuff, obviously, that is unique to Jude that you don't find in Second Peter. But... Um, what you will find both in First and Second Peter and in Jude is both writers calling their readers back to what Jesus said, to this faith once delivered. All right, so we're going to do Jude in two parts. Part one is going to be verse, verses 1 through 13, and then part two will be 14 to the end. Um, so, and Clark made it in. Hey, Jen. Yep. Thanks so much. I've got it, my screen set up in a way where I can't see the comments, but I can see yours over there on your screen. Um, so anyway, Stephanie, would you mind reading with your beautiful voice Thank these you. 13 <laughs> boy, uh, verses? All right. Yeah. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about, about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I desire to remind you, though you all know, though you all, I can't read, <laughs> though <laughs> you know great. all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as these included in gross oh. immor- indulged. I'm sorry. It's okay. They, as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in, un- in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way as these, same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things, they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain and, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. And they, sorry, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Sorry about that. No, you're good. (laughs) That's some heavy stuff there. Yeah. And some long sentences, huh? Oh, yeah. Maybe not quite uh, Pauline-esque like Ephesians 1 stuff, but um, long sentences. You're like, when is this thing going to end? Where's the period? Where's my breath? Oh, he's coming (laughs) to an end. Nope, that's a semicolon. (laughs) Let's put... Four yeah. more commas now. No, nah, but it's it's good stuff. I mean, you just hear him preaching in this letter almost. So let's dive in. It says, uh, verse one, Jude. Jude. Well, that's not actually his name. Um, so his name in a Hebrew way would be Judah, but in Greek, it would be Judas. It's the, you see it in the New Testament translated as Judah, you know, like Matthew 1, talking about Jesus's lineage going back to the, the tribe of Judah to be fulfilling the prophecy. Um, but you also see it translated in Matthew as Judas, speaking of Judas Iscariot, right? So after the death of Jesus, the name Judas had kind of a negative connotation to it. As you can imagine. Still don't meet a whole lot of Judases. No, metaphorically you might, but um, it's not something, you know, gosh, people name their kids some weird stuff. I mean, my sister told me about a kid named Jezebel. That's not something you want to name your kid. But, you know, obviously Jude, the brother of Jesus or Judah, Judas, it did not carry that same connotation at the beginning of the first century as it did after that first third of the first century. So, you know, Jude is more of an Americanized, you could say, uh, nickname that doesn't carry that same connotation. But just, it's not really important. So, no, as you know... Um, Elaine says Delilah as well, but... 
There's a whole song, right? And Delilah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. But She's probably not the best name to choose, but it's interesting. The first thing that Jude says about himself, he doesn't say the brother of Jesus. The first thing he says is a bondservant. Mm. Very similar to what his brother James says about himself. James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It's what Paul says about himself. Paul and Timothy in Philippians, Paul and Timothy bondservants. And this is like a slave, uh, this doulos. Um, that's the most literal translation is slave. Um, so that's, that's really interesting there. He's not trying to claim to be somebody great that should be in authority. He um, is humbling himself and putting himself at the bottom. Pretty neat. And he says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. All right, doesn't say the brother of Jesus. That's not divine his, his uh, relationship to Jesus. But I think what's, what he's calling back to are certain scenes in the Gospels. Excuse me. Uh, I had a humongous hamburger earlier. I think um, I bit off more than I could chew. It was probably it's about probably more information than people wanted. All you had to do was, was just say excuse me and just it, keep going. <laughs> I'm gonna keep going. It was probably about three quarters of a pound. It was so much. I cooked six pounds of ground beef and I decided to go a little bit overboard with one of those patties. But it was delicious. Oh my gosh. <laughs> hey <laughs> Tiffany, welcome. Hey Tiffany. Thanks for hanging out. Um anyway, so if you look back at the gospels. The first time you see Jesus's brothers, really, um, in Mark, in Mark chapter three, Jesus has gone into a synagogue and healed somebody on the Sabbath. And then, what's up? Tom made a good little pun. I You're can always appreciate it. the storm? Yeah. Well done, man. I like it. Yeah, I, I uh, I filled in for BDK last uh, Friday night for the communion service, and Steph likes that kind of stuff because she thinks I should start a business called the fill-in minister. Yeah, he yeah. can do all the things. He can lead worship. <laughs> he can he can teach. He can preach. He can do all the stuff. So he should when you when you need to go out of town, call the fill-in minister. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's get some thumbs up in the chats if you think it's a good a good idea for a business opportunity. <laughs> Ministry opportunity. So, so in Mark three, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's healed somebody on the Sabbath, got in a bunch of trouble for that, and then he starts calling disciples to himself, making them, you know, calling the twelve apostles, and um, then he's 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 in Galilee doing all this stuff, and it says like his own people, and this is a a word that basically means like his his family went after him to try to uh, take hold of him because they thought he was out of his mind. And that word take hold is also translated as arrest when they arrest Jesus later on in Mark. Same word there. So his family is basically trying to take him by force back home because the boy has lost his mind. I mean, that's what they're thinking. This guy is crazy. So his mother and brothers are trying to get in the way of uh, the will of God there. Then you see something even worse in John chapter seven, when you see the brothers again, 
they um, are not happy with him. You know, he in John chapter six has the biggest following probably of his whole ministry. People are trying to make him king by force. You remember that he goes away for the night and tells them unless they drink his blood and eat his flesh, they have no part in him. Um, and many leave, right? Well, this is obviously at the time bringing a lot of shame to the family. And so his brothers in John chapter seven, it, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up and uh, they know that the Jews in Jerusalem, in Judah are planning to kill him, planning to kill Jesus. So his brothers go to Jesus and they go, hey man, why don't you leave here and go to Judea, right? Go to Jerusalem so that your, your disciples can see your works, which you're doing. No one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing him. It's really interesting there that they are trying to set him up to be murdered. So you can understand though the family was feeling shame about their um, their brother there in John chapter 7, you can imagine the shame they felt after the resurrection. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the shame that Peter felt for denying him. And so Jesus makes a personal visit to Peter in John 21. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus made a personal uh, resurrection, post-resurrection appearance to James. And uh, that has a profound effect on James. He eventually becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem or one of the, you know, one of the lead elders there. So just a powerful, powerful thing, a little bit more history about Jude. Um, Eusebius writes about, and he's in the, the fourth century, a fourth century historian. He writes about how toward the end of the first century, when Domitian was the emperor of Rome, that uh, Domitian got nervous because this group of people called Christians were uh, going around proclaiming another kingdom. And he finds out that there are some people that are related to Jesus. And these are the grandchildren of Jude, the grandsons of Jude. And so he has them basically rounded up and brought to, to meet with him. And he questions them about, um, he thinks they're trying to like start a coup, like take over the empire. And so it's interesting what they do. What they do is they show Domitian their hands, and they've got really rough worker farmer hands. And they're like, are these the hands of royalty? Basically, you know, I mean, they're just dirt and, and scars and just rough farmer hands. Like my dad has farmer hands and his dad has farmer hands. And for some reason, even though I'm not a farmer, I got these like really rough hands but you can imagine someone who's actually in the dirt and they're like, these aren't the hands of royalty. These are the, these are the hands of peasants. So it's really interesting too, um, just as, as a note, um, 
that the brothers of Jesus aren't trying to lord it over everybody else and aren't trying to rule the church, um, but are taking these roles of bond servants, living a simple life. But they also tell Domitian that their kingdom is not of this world, kind of like Jesus tells Pilate in John chapter 19 or 18. Um, So interesting little fact there. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew and Froggy joined us. So Hey, Matthew. Welcome, hey, Froggy. Thanks for hanging out. Well, let's get into it. I'm sorry for that uh, prolonged uh, intro. but um, Especially when you got 13 pages. Yeah, I might have to skip some stuff as we go mm-hmm. or shorten it up at least a little bit. Um, Jude says, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So the first time... Law of first, first mention, right? The first time you see this word called in the New Testament is either in Matthew 20 or in Matthew 22, depending on whether you're reading uh, a Bible based off of the Latin Vulgate, like uh, the King James or the New King James, or whether you're reading a, a Bible based off more uh, current manuscript, currently discovered manuscripts like um, the New American Standard. And uh, so... In the King James, you're going to see it in Matthew 20 and 22. In the New American Standard, you're going to see it just for the first time in Matthew 22. But they say the exact same sentence. It's exactly the same. All right. So the earliest manuscripts don't have it in Matthew 20. um, But the earliest ones do have in Matthew 22. Regardless, it's the exact same sentence. So it's not something that we should be upset about at all. All right. So let me read this, um, or do you want to read that long section? I'll see if I can redeem myself. You you don't need to redeem yourself. (laughs) Jesus redeemed you already. That's right. That's Um, right. Amen. So this is from Matthew 22. This is a parable Jesus tells uh, starting in verse 1 and reading to verse 14. All right. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened livestock and all, sorry, and all are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was there, not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
for many are called, but few are chosen. All right. So like one of the ways the early Christians uh, handled this parable with the wedding garments thing, you find somebody without wedding garments, they, um, they tied it to Revelation 19 to the, the, um, the bride of Christ coming down in white garments. And in Revelation 19, it says those white garments are the righteous acts of the saints. And then they would tie that to like Matthew 25 stuff of the sheep. Right, who are doing these acts of righteousness, this, these uh, acts of mercy toward people, acts of compassion toward people. And so um, even though these, these, the goats called Jesus Lord, they weren't living like it. And I'm not trying to, I'm not doing a Lordship salvation thing right now. I'm just saying um, this is one of the ways this thing could be interpreted uh, with, there are some people that are called, but they don't end up being chosen because um, they did not, uh, by faith, live out the teachings of Jesus uh, out of love for Jesus, or they didn't persevere in the faith. Or some people might say they never were Christians. Some people might say they fell away. Um, I'm not sure. But uh, another time, this passage uh, come or this word called comes up is in Romans chapter eight. Great passage, or great chapter, and a great passage. Uh, Paul writes, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these who he justified, he also glorified. And so you might say that there's some tension that everybody God calls comes, but that's not uh, the message that you, you see throughout um, the gospels. Um, and Jesus tells people to follow me, like he tells the rich young ruler, you know, sell everything you have and then come follow me. And the guy doesn't. Or when some people say like, uh, we'll follow you, like he'll tell them, follow me. And they'll say like, first, let us bury our father. You know, different things like that happen where Jesus calls people, but they don't stay with him. He called Judas, you know, but Judas didn't end up with Jesus. So there's, there's some tension here. And one way to resolve it is with this idea of foreknowledge before this idea of predestination. And we're going to get to that a little bit later and show what uh, two of the early Christian writers um, believed about it. And I, this is one of the areas that um, I, I really apologize that I can't spend more time on today. Uh, this area and the next word, which is kept. He says to those, this is Jude, verse one still, uh, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept in or kept for Christ Jesus. Um, we spent some time talking about beloved uh, in previous episode in Philippians, but these are people loved by God with God's love, basically um, people that God's basically calling, you know, you're my family. Um, but this, this word kept uh, sometimes means to maintain, uh, to preserve. Sometimes it means in a figurative sense to spiritually guard or keep intact. It's used several times in the book of Jude. It's used four times in the book of Jude. And so I think one of the best ways that we can um, 
interpret this word is by looking at the different ways it's used in Jude. Okay, and I'll just let you know, three of the times in the New American Standard, it's translated kept, and one of the times it's translated as reserved. So I'm going to read these verses for you so you can kind of get a feel for where Jude's coming from, and I'm not going to make a whole lot of comments on that, just kind of leave it for you. All right, so uh, other, th- actually, it's, it's five times, so four times, uh, not including the verse one kept, so four more times. So here are the other four. Verse six, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. These are the men, this is skipping to verse 12. uh, These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Skip into verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. All right, so different ways uh, that he's using this word um, that is translated kept. So do with that what you would like. There's going to be some different times in this this Bible study where I'm not going to necessarily give you my opinion of what things are, but just going to kind of let the, the scripture hang there for you to wrestle with which I think is sometimes a lot better than somebody just giving you their opinion. Matthew shared a verse. Yeah. Second Peter 2, 4 through 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the, whoa, it's still coming, the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world upon the world of the ungodly. Yeah, that's uh that's really good, Matthew. That's really good insight, brother. Um, something I said at the top that I think uh, you missed, um, but you're absolutely hitting on is that Jude is is in many respects like showing the folks that what Peter prophesied has come true. Because if you're reading there in Second Peter chapter two, Peter is saying this stuff is going to come. Jude says, this stuff has come. And Jude is basically quoting Peter over and over and over, not just chapter two, but he hints at stuff in chapter one and chapter three. All right. So man, you are right over the target, Matthew. That's that's really good, brother. All right. So uh, let's continue. Uh, Jude writes in verse two, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. All right, you know, mercy, this is the idea of compassion. Uh, You can see um, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus tells a story of the good Samaritan, and he's trying to answer the question, uh, who is my neighbor? Um, In terms of that's trying to answer the question, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Jesus ends that parable um, by saying, which one was the neighbor? And the lawyer says, he doesn't say the Samaritan because he can't bring himself to it. He says the one who had mercy or compassion, right? 
And so in many respects, what Jesus is showing here is the way to love your neighbor. It is mercy and love um, are, you, you can't keep them apart. To love your neighbor is to show mercy, compassion. Uh, peace, irene, uh, you know, this is a sense of wholeness. Uh, peace in a community would be wholeness, something you don't really see very often out in the news right now. Um, peace with uh, your spouse is wholeness with them, no division, you know, a sense of God's presence there. And it, it is a wholeness that can only happen because um, God has brought God has brought that together. A great example of this would be found in Mark chapter five, when you have um, the woman with the 12-year hemorrhage, because of this issue with the blood, she's not able to be with her community. She's almost treated kind of like a leper where she can't be with other people because they would be rendered unclean. And yet she comes into this community um, without people really knowing unless they know her, but she's just trying to touch Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment, the fringe, right? Uh, Which is trying to fulfill that prophecy out of uh, uh, Malachi chapter four, the son of righteousness will come with healing in his kanaf and his wings, that little fringe of a rabbi's cloak. Um, the seat seat or whatever. Uh, and when she does, she's basically confessing her faith in the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. And if he is the Messiah, then that prophecy is being fulfilled. And so Jesus turns around, says, who touches me? They all, no one comes forward. Eventually she does and explains it. And he says, daughter, and that's a key, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So one of the things that he's doing when he's saying go in peace, her body not only has become whole, but her uh, relationship to the community has been made whole again. And her relationship with God has been made whole. So you see this fullness of peace there. Um, and I, I love, you know, I, I, I spoke a long time about that word um, agape uh, or agapao, um, in uh, Philippians, I think the first Bible study, so y'all can check that out. Um, But the word I really wanted to focus on, (laughs) though I spent a lot of time on peace, is this word multiplied. Uh, The first time you see this multiplied word, I I believe it's the first time, and I could be wrong, forgive me, but I believe it's the first time is in Matthew 24. Uh, So in the uh, Olivet Discourse, right, where Jesus is talking about a lot of apocalyptic stuff, um, or eschatological stuff, uh, that would be a better way to phrase it, uh, end time stuff. So check this out, multiplied, and it's not translated multiplied, though it could be in Matthew 24, starting in verse 11. He says, many false prophets will arise and mislead many because of lawlessness, because lawlessness is increased, is increased that's it. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. Now, I don't know if Jude had that in his mind when he's writing this letter, but that passage in Matthew 24 sure has a whole lot of similarities to what's going on in Jude, because you got false prophets coming up amongst the people, misleading people, and living licentious or lawless lives, and you people, you see Jude's Jude's advice to the beloved brethren to persevere in the truth 
of the gospel of the kingdom of God, right? To be a good testimony to the nations. You see so much of Jesus's words uh, or the themes of Jesus's preaching uh, in Jude. So keep that in mind, all right? Now, uh, he says, well, let's go to uh, verse three. And I'm sorry that I'm going really fast, but I got a lot of stuff to You're good. cover. Keep going. So if you ever want to interject, you, oh, Stephanie, or um, <laughs> folks in the chat, please do. And I don't mind stopping one bit. Um, so verse three, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt, necess- I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. All right? So uh, the first thing I want to do is talk about this word contend, because remember, Jude wants them to contend for this common salvation, this faith which was once for all time handed down to the saints, this unchanging faith, right? This unchanging salvation, this unchanging message of the gospel, right? Like uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, when the writer says, Jesus, well, he says like to imitate your leaders, imitate their faith, right? The outcome of their faith. They, they are living like Jesus. And he says like, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? This is them living out this common salvation, this faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. So what is this common salvation? Well, this, I believe, is Jude referencing 2 Peter 1. So I'm going to read, or how about, Stephanie, do you want to read another long passage? Giving you the long ones because you can do it and I can take a sip of water. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I'll read it. Yeah. um, I just wanted to make sure we highlight in verse one, he's going to say that they have received the same kind of faith as us, Peter saying that. Peter saying the people he's written to have the same kind of faith as him. And then he's going to explain this common salvation, this faith that was handed down once for all. Remember, Jude is saying Peter prophesied it and it's coming true. So you better pay attention to what Peter wrote in his letters. All right, Steph, I'm sorry for doing that, but go ahead. (laughs) Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. (laughs) Hamburger. Yeah. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may be become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, 
perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in, the same, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will abundantly be supplied to you. That's great. And um, what I would encourage y'all to do is study that passage. Study the things that he has said Jesus has done for us. And then study the conditional statements that he makes about how we are to respond if those things are true that Jesus has done for us, which he's saying, of course, they are true. Since those things are true, then these conditional statements. Just check that out because Peter's saying, you've got the same kind of, you received the same kind of faith as ours. Jude is saying, this is the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, common salvation. All right. Now, remember Jude was saying that these uh, false prophets have, and Peter saying it too, that they've maligned the way, right? They've maligned the way of the truth. Jude is saying, this is the faith handed down once for all. And really what that made me think of just personally is the book of Acts. You know, I've heard it said that Acts is not a prescriptive book, but rather a descriptive book. And so what, what that means, someone would be saying, um, that Acts is more describing um, what happened in the first century, but it's not prescribing how we are supposed to act. And um, I, I feel a little bit differently, and I apologize for putting my, my own feelings too much into, uh, my own opinions too much into this, but the way I view Acts is that it is descriptive, so I do agree with that, that it's descriptive, of followers of Jesus seeking to follow Jesus's prescriptive commands. So I'll try to read that again. My opinion on Acts is that it is showing us the faith once for all handed down, that it's showing people trying to live that out, okay? It's descriptive of followers of Jesus seeking to follow Jesus's prescriptive commands. And you see, they do it pretty, pretty well. Uh, Jude 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Jude is basically saying that prophecy from 2 Peter chapter 2, it has happened. Okay, just like you were writing, Matthew, um, from that Second Peter 2 passage, Jude is saying those things that he said what were going to happen have happened. And it's almost word for word in so many regards. Now, that phrase crept in unnoticed, 
is like somebody coming in through a side door. Somebody coming into your house through an entrance that you're not expecting. All right? Being real sneaky, uh, being real slick. Um, uh, now, this, this phrase, long beforehand, marked out for this condemnation, is a tricky one. All right? Because in one sense, it seems like Jude is saying that these people have been predestined uh, almost arbitrarily for uh, condemnation. You know, that's something that John Calvin taught. Um, Brilliant man, way, way smarter than me. Um, But Calvin believed in double predestination. And what that means is that arbitrarily, God, without considering anything about anybody, just says, you folks are going to be with me forever and you people are going to um, be condemned and burn forever. And um, that is not what the early Christians believed. Um, I guess they could be wrong, but that's not what they believed. Um, They do believe that certain people have been selected to be forever with God and certain people have been selected to uh, spend eternity apart from him. But there's a reason for those things. It's not arbitrary. And what it comes down to, as you're going to see in particularly the second quote, is the idea of foreknowledge. God foreknowing something about someone. All right. So let me go first with Justin Martyr. And this is from one about 160, the year 160 AD. And then I'm going to do Shepherd of Hermas which will be about the year 150. And uh, both of these guys are highly respected. In fact, um, I believe in like the Codex Sinaiticus, I believe this early translation of the Greek New Testament, you have as in a, like an appendix at the end of the New Testament, uh, the Didache, the Epistle of Barnabas, and the Shepherd of Hermas. So these, this book, the Shepherd of Hermas, though, it's got some weird stuff in there. I'm not going to lie. It's got some weird stuff but it was held in incredibly high regard in the church. Like read the New Testament, okay? And that's, that's above these three, but you really have to read these, these three books, the Didache, the Epistle of Barnabas, and Shepherd of Hermas, okay? Um, so, sorry, here's Justin Martyr. Uh, he says, for among us, the prince of the wicked spirits is called the serpent and Satan and the devil, as you can learn by looking into our writings, and that he would be sent into the fire with his host and the men who follow him and would be punished for an endless duration, Christ foretold. For the reason why God has delayed to do this is his regard for the human race. Like, why hasn't God just sent all these people? You know, well, the reason is his regard for the human race. For he foreknows that some are to be saved by repentance, some even that are perhaps not yet born. In the beginning, he made the human race with the power of thought and of choosing the truth and doing right, so that all men are without excuse before God, for they have been born rational and contemplative. Going along similar lines, but being even more descriptive, uh, 
Hermes writes this, and he's he's ha- it's it's a it's an apocalyptic book. He's like talking with an angel a lot of times. All right, and um, so he says, "Why then, sir?" Uh, I said, "Why did not all of these people repent?" And he answered me, "To them whose heart he saw would become pure, talking about God. To the ones God saw whose hearts would become pure and obedient to Him." He gave power to repent with the whole heart. But to them whose deceit and wickedness he perceived and saw that they intended to repent hypocritically, he did not grant repentance, lest they should again profane his name. I said to him, Sir, show me now with respect to those who gave in the branches of what sort they are and their abode in order that they hearing it, who believed in receiving the seal and broke it, did not keep the whole, uh, may on coming to a knowledge of their deeds repent and receive from you a seal and may glorify the Lord because he has had compassion upon them and sent you to renew their spirits. He's saying some lengthy stuff there. I apologize, but we're coming again to more of the point. Listen, he said, they were branches. They whose branches were found withered and moth-eaten are the apostates and traitors of the church who have blasphemed the Lord in their sins and have moreover been ashamed of the name of the Lord by which they were called. These therefore at the end were lost unto God. Yeah. Ron Freeman was asking where the Justin Martyr quote is from. Um, Ron, I'll look that up and get that back to you. I forgot. I think it's in his dialogue with Trifo the Jew. All right. Uh, I think. It is. But I'll look it up and get back to you for sure. Um, and I should have put that in my notes while I was reading it. Here's another way of, so, so just to wrap that up, um, they believed that those whom God foreknew would repent with the heart that God knew by his grace, they're going to receive his grace um, and truly repent he has set in line a process that these people, yes, they're going to get called. They're also going to get, uh, sorry. And the process is, the end goal of the process is that they get conformed to the image of his son. So the people that God knows, this is like Romans 8, pairing it with this stuff. People that God knows by his grace are going to exercise free will to choose him and repent. He sets in line this process that they eventually become uh, conformed to the image of his son, transformed into his image. So there's going to be a process. He is going to call them. He's going to justify them. He's going to glorify them. All right. There's, that's the process. All right. And uh, those whom he knows will not um, freely choose him. Well, that category of people is going to end up in the lake of fire. All right. Um, now, here's another way, though, of looking at that phrase long beforehand marked out for condemnation. And honestly, I think this is what Jude is actually talking about in his letter. I don't think Jude is really getting into the whole foreknowledge versus predestination idea that you know became more popularized with uh, Calvin and Luther, and then in our day with the arm, or after them with like the Armenians, and then in our day, you know, these big divides that happen. I don't think Judah's even really going that way. I don't think that's the main point that he's getting at. All right. So, this, this 
phrase like marked, beforehand marked, okay, for condemnation means to have something that was written previously, okay, written previously. That's literally what it means. And I think Jude really backs this up. So basically what, here's the point. Jude is saying this stuff was written about, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Okay, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that this stuff was gonna happen. Not just with Peter, though Peter is quoting the Old Testament too. Jude is just saying this stuff was prophesied. It was written about in your Bibles. That's what I think Jude is getting at. Because right after this stuff, um, right after verse four, Jude starts talking about the angels that sinned, Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis, and the rebellion, the Korah's rebellion in uh, Numbers. He also talks about the way of Cain, Genesis, the era of Balaam, Numbers, right? So he's saying you can see this whole uh, false prophet, apostate, licentious, ungodly stuff prophesied basically back then. It's almost like he's saying that stuff that was written back then was a shadow of what was to come. And actually, you're going to see Paul basically say that kind of stuff and some we're going to cover later that we also covered in Philippians. Steph, you want to read? We're going to read verse four in Jude. Oh, a short one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. All right. These guys snuck in the side door and they are ungodly, which means they lack reverence toward holy things in a sense. They're licentious, which means they live without restraint. Um, they are antinomian in a sense, like they live without a law. Um, like they are the law, like um, Alistair Crowley would say, like do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Like that's, that's their mantra too. They're licentious. Um, they deny the only master who bought them, that kind of stuff, right? Um, their master and Lord denies um, to refuse to confess, to disown. Um, you think about Jesus. I believe this is the first time it's used in the Bible um, or in the New Testament, I think. Uh, it's very early, at least. Uh, Matthew 10, 30, right after he calls his apostles, I mean, he lays down the gauntlet with them. He doesn't like make, make it sound like this is going to be easy. He's saying, you're going to be like sheep among wolves, that kind of stuff. And he says, hey, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also deny him before my father in heaven. Excuse me, goodness gracious. Burger. I mean, I would, I would encourage you again, just like Matthew put up in the chat, Compare Jude verse four to Second Peter chapter two verses one through two. I mean, it's just, it's like almost word for word. All right, I, I won't read it just for time's sake, but let's uh, keep going. Let's read Jude four and Jude five together now. Okay, certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those persons who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master and 
Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Remember, this is the faith handed down once for all. And he says, after Jesus saved people out of Egypt, he destroyed the ones who did not believe. You can see similar stuff written about in Hebrews chapter three, and you can also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Remember, Paul says, I I want you to not be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all baptized into the cloud, all passed through the sea, all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink as us. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. He's almost saying like this was a shadow of things to come. You know, when they were passed through the sea, that's a shadow of baptism, you know, transferring their allegiance from Pharaoh to God, you know, this whole kind of thing that's all a shadow of what was in us uh, now, what is in us now, the things that we have gone through uh, in the Lord's Supper. Nevertheless, verse five, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things were, they, these things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. And he goes on and on and he says it an, another time in verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example and they have been written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And um, so... Uh, therefore, him who thinks he stands, take heed so that he doesn't fall. No temptation is overtaking you, but such was is common to man. For God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is like spiritual adultery in a sense. It's transferring your allegiance. And um, in a very real sense, uh, Like we have no king but Caesar. You got to watch out for that stuff. All right, let's continue going. Verse six, all right? This is stuff, remember, he's saying this was written long ago. This was written long ago in the scriptures, all right? He says in angels, verse six, Jude, verse six, angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the day for the judgment of the great day. Read about that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, of course, talking about the flood, the great deluge, okay? And what happened to those angels that sinned. Both, uh, both Jude and Peter basically say um, what the early Christians believed, what people uh, like Josephus believed, that it really did happen. This angelic incursion really did happen, Um It's not like what Augustine wrote where he basically calls it silly. He basically says taking an orthodox view of Genesis 6 is is just silly. That's not the way the early Christians treated Genesis 6 at all. All right, let's continue. Uh, Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh are an example are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire 
Now check out those those things that he said. And by the way, I mean again, he's quoting Peter, Second Peter verses, Second Peter two verses six through eight, just just quoting it. All right. Now he's saying that these these false prophets basically that have crept in, in the same way as Sodom and Gomorrah, they're indulging in gross immorality, just this incredible licentious behavior. And they're going after strange flesh. Uh, what now? I don't think necessarily he's saying that these men are being like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In in, in that, um, the the men in Sodom were trying to have relations with angels, um, but they also were grossly immoral. I I think it's in oh, Jeremiah when he says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. And he talks about them exploiting the poor, basically. Um, They were very licentious uh, in every regard, but this going after strange flesh in uh, the account in Genesis did have them going after angels appearing as men. But I think in Jude, it's talking about this licentiousness to where they are... uh, not keeping the marriage bed holy, as Hebrews chapter 13 would be saying, um, whether that's um, extramarital affairs or uh, with women or them uh, indulging in, in uh, perversions with, with men as well um, and other things uh, just because of their licentious and lewd behavior. And I'm trying to be tactful here um, and as PG-13 as I can. Um, So let's keep going. But he does say this is an example of those people who will undergo eternal, the punishment of eternal fire. So, you know, Jude is not holding back in that regard. All right, verse eight. And let me make a real quick caveat. Uh, We may either go like 10 minutes over tonight or maybe do a third week that's really short. I'm going to just do my best to go quickly. Stephanie just got really upset. I'm not upset. <laughs> okay. Don't do that third week. No. Yeah, okay. That's fine. All right, Definitely so maybe 10 or 15 minutes over tonight, but okay. I'll try to go fast. I'm not... Okay. We have work off tomorrow. We do. <laughs> You're fine. All right. Keep going. All right. I'm sweating. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's hot up here. Yeah. All right. Uh in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a pronouncement against him. Uh, uh, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, I accidentally skipped more over verse eight. Uh, Terry read, said you're you're hot because of the burger. Probably Ugh. meat sweats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't drinking anything there because that would have been flying out of my mouth onto the screen. Yeah, that was good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, um, this word dreaming is really interesting. He's basically saying you guys are out of your minds. You're not living in accordance with reality. You think that you can defile your flesh, reject God's authority, 
and revile angelic majesties and you think you think you're not you're going to get away with this? You think this isn't going to have any consequence after you die? And hang on to that because in a little bit, I'm going to tell you who I think, again, and I'm sorry for doing this, but who I think Judah is actually talking about. And it's just a hypothesis. It's not a hill I would ever try to die on, but hold on for that, okay? Um, you can see the connection between Jude, uh, Jude verse 8 and 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I mean, it's again, it's, it's like he's quoting, okay? But let's talk about this thing with Michael the archangel. Uh, this is not from the book of Enoch, though Jude is going to quote Enoch next week in uh, verse 14. Um, this is from uh, a writing that is probably first century BC or first century AD, like really, really, actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's either at the very end of the first century BC or at the very beginning of the first century AD called the Assumption or the Ascension of Moses. So it's either the Assumption of Moses or the Ascension of Moses. It's a book that um, Jude not only quotes, but it's a book that the church in Alexandria, uh, Egypt, uh, the early Christians in Alexandria, Egypt quote this, or they reference this book. Um, They're not trying to say that it's inspired, but they do reference it. so you have like folks like Clement of Alexandria and, and Origen. These are people who are responsible for basically like you could say the new, the new members class, like the orientation into Christianity. Alexandria, though, in some ways, it gets a little bit too liberal with scripture in certain respects. It's also a place that was highly respected in the early Christian world. Um, and it's where, of course, that... that um, uh, library was, that renowned library that I believe it's Ptolemy put together um, that eventually burned down. Um, So anyways, in this, in one section in this book, The Assumption of Moses, uh, after Moses uh, tells the people that he's going to go away, right, and he dies, basically it's, it's, it's almost like Joshua got to go see that Moses, where Moses was buried in this valley. Of course, Deuteronomy 34 says that the Lord buried Moses in this valley, I believe in Edom. Um, but it's, it's like Joshua saw this and he, I don't know if he saw this encounter, or he heard about this encounter. Um, that's the, I guess, the oral tra- uh, tradition that was passed down. But um, so... The people, as you can see in in um, that in the Israelites that came out of the uh, out of Egypt, had a ten- tendency to worship stuff that they shouldn't worship, right? And eventually, you see uh, the Israelites worship worshiping the bronze snake later on. Um, that was really bad. And so, the some theories here are that. Um, the devil wanted to hold on to the body of Moses either because, because the people um, the people he could maybe get them to worship Moses or the place of Moses' burial instead of worshiping God. Or he's laying claim to it because Moses was a murderer. 
or he's laying claim to it because like he's um, the ruler of this world. Different theories on that. Um, I don't really want to spend too much time on, but the point Jude is making, these people revile in, in Jude, these people are reviling angelic majesties, but you have this ruler angel, this archangel, this archon angel, this is a ruling angel, very, very high, high level angel. In fact, he's uh, in Daniel, you see he is the angel responsible over that area of like of Israel, of Judea and Israel. Um, and you have these different territorial uh, high level angelic beings like the Prince of Persia, the Prince of Greece, this kind of principality language that you also see Paul pick up in Ephesians chapter six. So Michael's a very high level angel. The devil, um, who uh, Ezekiel 28 would call like a, a cherub, um, wants this body. Michael doesn't try to fight him. Michael doesn't try to assert his own authority and slander Satan. Michael speaks out of God's authority, under God's authority, the Lord's authority. And he says, the Lord rebuke you. And that might be a lesson for us doing spiritual warfare as well. Um, yeah. So Jude 10. Steph, can you read that, please? Thanks. Yeah. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things, they are destroyed. Yeah, and uh, Matthew, you're absolutely right. Hebrews 3, in many respects, does parallel Jude as well. Yep, as does Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. Yeah, there's, I mean, Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. Scripture backs up Scripture. That's really good. Um so yeah, these men revile things which they do not understand and things which they know by instinct, like unreasonable animals, by these things they are destroyed. I mean, I was thinking about this verse the other day when I was walking my dogs and normally they don't jump after cars, but you know, dogs just have this instinct to chase stuff, right? And they have an instinct to protect, right? And uh, so I'm walking them on the streets and I'm walking on the right side of the road close to the curb and this uh, this truck with a trailer full of lawn equipment, you know, big truck, loud truck comes barreling around the bend and it's not like it's coming at us. You know, they're being respectful and giving us room. But this is like, a, like an F-250. This is a heavy, big truck with a trailer on it and my dog's... Zeke like tries to lunge at that thing just by instinct, whether it's trying to chase something that's loud or trying to protect that instinct that he had was completely irrational because if he was allowed like off a leash to do the thing that he wanted by instinct, it would have destroyed him. And Jude is saying these folks are being like irrational animals these drives that they have, they think are serving them, but they're actually serving those desires and that will kill them. Um, let's get... Charity says you need Gavis gone. Remember that stuff? <laughs> oh. The like 
liquid. I don't. I think it comes. I know it comes as a liquid. I don't know. How it Does it make in. you stop sweating? No, it, no, it's for your your tummy. That's all, oh yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> we need to go get that. Yeah, I think that was like real pepperminty tasting. Oh man, anything right. that'll help me. Uh, so now think about by these these people are destroyed. That's that's heavy language. That's not just talking about earthly destruction. That's like perishing language. Like um, uh, Peter writes writes in Second uh, Peter three that God doesn't want anybody to perish. He also talks about that word destroyed more specifically. He says the the present uh, heavens and earth are going to be destroyed, right? By fire. Not a good thing, all right, for these people to be destroyed. God doesn't want them to be destroyed. God wants them to repent. And so Jude says, woe to them. Now, that word woe in the Greek is like an onomatopoeia. Because the word in Greek is why, why kind of a sound. And it's just like a sound that people would make when they're wailing. And what does Jesus say will happen in the outer darkness? There's going to be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. This idea of woe has you know this connotation of judgment, destruction. Um. And you see those seven woes in Matthew 23. Woe to them. They have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. All right. Um, The way of Cain. Think about the way of Cain out of... um, Uh, James says it's basically out of like jealousy that he murdered his brother Abel, right? And God warned him. He's like, sin is crouching at your door and his desire is for you, but you must master it. Don't be mastered by it. Master that sin. But this jealousy drove him. Think about the religious leaders. Pilate says, I believe it's in Matthew 26. Pilate knew that it was out of, it's no... Might be 20, it's 27. Yeah, 27, 26, something like that. Uh, in terms of verse 26, he knew that it was out of envy that, um, or jealousy that the religious leaders had handed him, handed Jesus over to Pilate. The heir of Balaam, remember this guy is like a hired gun. He is a, he's a hired gun. He will work against anybody or for anybody, for the money. This greed that they have, this drive for money is owning them. Um, They've perished in the rebellion of Korah. I can't remember what passage it is in in Numbers. It hmm, might be 16. Um, 16 or 17, I think, 16. Uh, but basically, you've got these these guys. Uh, it's not just the sons of Korah. There's some others included, but they're basically like, look, we have the spirit like you. Why should you be our leader? Why should you be so special? They want to rule as well. They don't like the fact that God has appointed certain people to um, be in positions of leadership. They want to be in charge. 
but they are corrupt. All right, remember, Jude said that these things had been long, had been written about long ago. They had been marked long beforehand. They'd been written about long ago. Like these things were written as an example for us. The whole conversation in the chat about your diet, by the way. Oh my goodness. (laughs) All right, now. He won't won't change it for for you. He won't change it for me either. (laughs) Verse 12, uh, it says, these are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Uh, Justin writes a little bit about the love feasts that would happen. These are like the PM uh, Sunday gatherings. There'd be an AM Sunday gathering and there'd be a PM Sunday gathering. Tertullian writes about it a lot too. He talks about um, them gathering together. Uh, Man, I could nerd out on that for a while. Let me not. uh, But this, this this word hidden reefs is interesting it could also be translated or, or thought of as like these hidden rocks in the sea. Think about, you know, what happens with Paul when he's trying to set sail to to uh, Rome, and they're in this storm, right? And their ship runs aground. Well, these rocks that you can't see that are maybe right under the surface of the water, but your boat, because it's you know it goes a little bit beneath the surface. If you hit one of those hidden rocks, it's going to destroy your boat. It's going to sink it, break it up. And that's exactly what happens to Paul's boat. So it's like these things are there, but people just can't see it. These potential destructive people are right there in their midst, but people are, they just can't see it. And Jude's trying to give the folks in the church eyes to see these wolves in sheep's clothing. He's trying to help them see it. These folks may be able to to say all the right things, dress the right way, have the right bumper stickers on their cars. Um, They may be able to preach great, whatever. But they're hidden in a sense. Jude's trying to help them figure it out. Now, um, I told you before that I have a theory about who these people are. And I'm going to get into that now. Again, um, I would never die on this hill. This is just a hypothesis. Um, but I want to highlight a few different terms that Jude has thrown out about these people. Um, and then I'll tell you who I think they are. So going back through the uh, the first part of Jude, he says they're, um, they're ungodly. They're licentious. They deny their only master and Lord. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. They're like unreasoning animals just following their lusts. They have gone the way of Cain. They have fallen into the air of Balaam with the money stuff. They've fallen into the rebellion of Korah. They want to be in charge. And later, you're going to see in, um, well, let me read verse 13. Their wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, their wandering stars, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Wandering star, wandering star is a terrible thing if it's like a meteor right? And you think it's, or an asteroid or something like that. 
and you think it's actually a star, but if you're back in Jude's days, you use the stars to navigate at night, right? But if it's a wandering star and you're following a wandering star, you're, you're out of luck. Yeah. You're going to get way off course because they don't hold the same standard that you, know, you can use to judge everything by because they keep on changing the standard, you know, if that makes sense. So who do I think these are? I think, I think these are Sadducee converts. Okay. Um, not all priests uh, were Sadducees, but um, the Sadducees, many of the Sadducees were priests and almost every single one of the high priests uh, ended up being Sadducees once that Sadducee party came about. These people that wanted to rule. Now, uh, you can read about them a little bit in Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 7, that so many of these priests have become obedient to the faith. Now, these priests, you can imagine, these were highly respected people, positions of authority. And they come into the faith and the ones in authority are what is what is uh what do they say about Peter and John? They're unschooled ordinary men. Hmm. Right? Who are these people that they should be leading us? And what's interesting in Acts chapter six, you also get introduced to a guy named Nicholas, who's one of the uh, seven deacons that are chosen. And just like Judas with the apostles, Nicholas is mentioned last. And what is believed by folks like Irenaeus is that Nicholas rebelled from the faith and became the founder of what Jesus talks about in Revelation chapter 2, which is the Nicolaitans or the Nicolaitans. My point is that Acts chapter 6 looks like a great passage, but there could be some underlying stuff being put down by Luke um, that we need to take note of there. Um, anyway, so let me tell you a little bit about the Sadducees. They're the ruling class. They were aristoc aristocrats. They weren't aristocrats. They weren't aristocrats. They were aristocrats. <laughs> so they were very, very wealthy people. They denied the afterlife. They denied that angels existed. They were often uh, very licentious because of their denial of the afterlife. Think about it. If you just just like an atheist, right? If you're being um, rational with your beliefs that there is nothing after this, then you're sad, you see. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> Just Sorry. live it up. Why would you be anything other than a hedonist? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Is. If this is all there is, it doesn't make any rational sense to not be a hedonist. And yet, these things that they glory in, they should be ashamed of. It's these things that will destroy them. Okay, so they're the ruling class. They want to be in charge like the men of Korah. They're aristocrats. They're following in the way of Balaam, maybe. 
the denial of the afterlife again and denial of angels reviling angelic ma- angels psh, reviling these angelic they're licentious remember we we said that they um they were religious people but only for the controlling the masses in many respects now not all sadducees were like that but many of them were Remember, these people that were plotting Jesus's murder, the high priest plotting Jesus's murder in John chapter 12, in John chapter 18 is, or sorry, in John chapter 19 is carrying out the Passover. Isn't that, I mean, does anybody not find that interesting? I was typing a response. You know, no, no, no. I said the high priest who's plotting the murder of Jesus in John 12 is also plotting in John 12, not only the murder of Jesus, the murder of Lazarus as well. Mm. And he's the one carrying out the murder of Jesus in John 18 and 19 and performing the Passover ritual. Very holy looking man Mm -hmm. that is one of the least holy people on earth. You know, holds a form of godliness but denies its power, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. All right. They and they viewed Rome, the Sadducees viewed Rome as a means to their own end. So they were sellouts to Rome because Rome would keep them in power. And you remember what. Annas and Caiaphas and the rest of them were saying um, when Pilate said, behold your king. And what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. Caesar." Right? Mm -hmm. They denied their only master who bought them. This kind of language, I don't think it's a absolute, you know, nail on the head, but I think it's a decent hypothesis. Regardless, again, compare these descriptions from Jude into 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 17 at the very least. All right. Now, as we are wrapping these things up, uh, remember Jude is basically trying to say, Peter told y'all this stuff was going to happen. And it happened. It came true. So you need to listen to Peter. You need to read that letter and take it to heart. And so with that, I just want to read, I just want to read a, uh, a couple of verses from chapter three of Second Peter, starting in verse one. This is now beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder so that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. He tells them to remember, as Jude said, the common salvation that we have, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. We need to take Jesus' words very seriously. 
and watch out for people who not don't watch out for the people who reject Jesus. Watch out for the people who confess Jesus but deny him by their lifestyle. Watch out for the people who confess Jesus but tell you you don't have to obey him. I, I keep thinking about the passage about the you know the narrow path and how in America specifically and probably some other countries we think that um, you know most people that most people that I know would probably say that they're a Christian you know or that they would they think they would go to heaven when they die but that narrow path doesn't mean like well. Narrow in the sense that these other countries that are openly, you know, another religion are are going to hell. But you, America, you're you're pretty good. You're like eighty percent. You know, you're, you're going to be all right. No, I mean, like I just think about even among the people that that say that, like how how wrong some people are, and how you know, I, I, it's it's not place to be the one to figure out who's sincere and who's not, other than you know, looking for people in the church maybe that are stirring up um, and causing people to fall away. But, I mean, we need to examine our own hearts, and I think that's where a lot of people fall short. They're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm checked off. I've got this um, this step done. So now when I die, I'm good, and everything else, just, you know, if I do good, good. If I don't, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and when we see people that we think are living out side of what Jesus called them to live if they're in the church. We need to remember um, God's heart for all people based out of 2 Peter 3, when it says that God is not slow in keeping his promise like some people consider slow, Hmm. but he's patient with you, desiring that uh, no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Right, and so we need to call people to repent. We need to keep in mind um, what Ezekiel says in uh, Ezekiel. Well, several places in Ezekiel where God tells him, "Look, if 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 you see a person erring, you know, you need to call them to repent. You know, if you don't, their blood is on your head. Like if you know better, and you don't ask them, you don't try to." in gentleness, urge them to repent. We're going to be held responsible for that. That's scary for me. That's really scary because I am a non-confrontational person. So if there's a problem, I mean, I try to just keep out of the way. And the scary that somebody's blood could be on my hands, that's... It's terrifying. Yeah, and so I, yeah, it's another reason I would encourage y'all to listen to this interview with Phil Patillo. Amen. Yeah, because we handle this circle. kind of stuff. We, we, we definitely talk about this stuff quite a bit. Uh, we get into it a little bit uh, in, in the second part and definitely get into it uh, in the third part as well. Oh, those plotting evil in their beds Evil makes her home with those who trust her Heaven knows 
success.